Good morning. How awesome is that video? Hey, just gives me tingles every time. I'm just so excited. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name's Lockie. I'm one of the pastors here at Gold Coast Central Church. And um, can I just extend to you a huge welcome? So glad that you're here with us today, that you've joined us. Uh, I want to extend a special welcome to everyone who's joined us in Auto 2. So hello to you guys. I'd love if you guys could just give me a huge round of applause for them. We just want to welcome them, even though we're in different rooms. We're all a part of the same family, and those that are joining us at home as well, huge welcome to you. Um, yeah, we, we're all one family here, even though because of restrictions we can't all be together. We are all one family. So uh, if you haven't joined us before or you're joining us for the first time in a while, um, you might have picked up from the bumper there, but we're, we're a part of a series that we're calling The End. The end. It sounds pretty ominous, doesn't it? And we're, we're basically unpacking a whole bunch of questions relating to the times that we're living in, right? Um, I get to work as a pastor, and part of what that role entails is I get to go and visit people and, and visit families and, and you know, hear about the things going on in their lives. But one of the things that I keep getting asked is, you know, Lockie, are we, are we in the end times? Are we close to the end? Is, is COVID-19 in the Bible? You know, what the, what, what's going on in the world around us? How should I, as a Christian, be prepared and, and be ready for, for Jesus to come again? And that's what this series is all about. And so last week, um, Pastor Greg, he kicked off this series and he talked about how we respond when the world around us comes crashing down. That's something that all of us have experienced, right, over the last you know, six to nine months, is the whole world around us coming crashing down. And, and he, he basically, you might remember, he built a big cross here out of those boxes that used to be a big wall, right, a big wall of security or identity, he called it. And he said, when, when that wall comes crashing down, when everything in our lives come crashing down, in Jesus, we have a firm foundation upon which we can build our lives. And that changes the way that we look within when our world comes crashing down. And today, we're going to continue that series and talk about look around. How does Jesus change the way we look at the world around us? So I want to start with a little story. It was a little bit earlier than this time last year, and I was in denial, right? I was in denial. Um, my, my mum has glasses, my dad has glasses, and my sister has glasses, and I thought, there's no way I'm going to get glasses, I have a bit of a round head, so I was like, glasses are just going to do me no favours at all. Um, I'm going to look more like, is it E.T., the dude with like the rectangular head? Is that, so that's not going to be fun. Um, but as I would drive at night, every now and then I'd notice that I would struggle to read like the number plate of the car in front of me, or like the, the signs coming up, I would struggle to read them. And I always just thought it off, I was like, oh, I'm just tired, you know, I'm at college, I'm hardly getting any sleep. If, when I get a bit more sleep, I'll be all good, I'll be all good. But I went home for break... And what I discovered on break was that even when I had sleep, my eyes still weren't uh, functioning at 100% as I was driving at night. And so I finally gave in and I went into the optometrist in Morissette, which was the closest one to where I lived. And um, I was getting my eyes tested and she goes, you're a theology student, aren't you? And I was like, what? She says, yeah, yeah, all the theology students come here because they're always reading too much and they mess up their eyes while they're studying. And I was like, oh, far out. I'll, I'll say that's the reason for me then, I guess. Um, but yeah, I went in, had that eye test. Turns out I did need, did need glasses just for driving at night. But um, yeah, a couple of weeks later, I get these glasses. And that night I was driving and I thought, you know what, I'll give these things a shot. You know, it couldn't hurt. No one can see me. They're not going to see my big head going rectangle or anything. So I put the glasses on and I could not believe how clear everything was. Have you seen those videos of like the kids that get those glasses that let them see colour for the first time? Or like the ones that can't hear and they get those hearing aids and they can hear their parents' voices and they just their eyes light up and it's like the whole world has changed. That's what I felt like inside. Like I was going around being like, oh, have you heard of glasses? They're like the best thing ever. Like whoever invented glasses is an absolute genius because you can see even though your eyes aren't perfect. 
right? And that was my little experience with glasses. But the reason I share that story is because in the same way that glasses helped me to see at night with better clarity, learning about Jesus and understanding Jesus is going to change the way that you and I see the world around us, right? And that is what today's message is all about. So if you forget everything else, if you can't remember anything from today's message, I want you to remember this. This is our big idea for today. It is that Jesus changes the way we see the world around us. Okay, so that's our big idea for today. I'm going to pray now, and we're going to get into the message. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I praise you for the opportunity we have to come together to dive into your word, and I ask that you'll rid me of myself now. Please prepare the hearts for everyone who is tuning in, whether it's here in person or online, Father. I ask that you rid me of myself, speak through me now, and do your will in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew. If you're not quite familiar with the Bible, that's fine. Matthew is the start of the second section, which we call the New Testament. Um, It's the first of four books called the Gospels, and Gospel just means good news. So it's the first good news book in the New Testament of the Bible. And uh, here it tells a story of Jesus, Jesus and his followers. And in Matthew 24, Jesus is having a really interesting conversation with his followers, right? Because he's talking about the things that are going to happen before he comes back to take them to heaven with him. And last week, Pastor Greg read the first five verses of Matthew 24. But what we're going to do is we're going to jump all the way towards the end of the chapter and go to verse 42 of Matthew chapter 24. Okay, So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 24, verse 42. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. It'll be on the screen behind me or in front of me, depending how you're watching it. But it says this. It says, So you too must keep watch. For you don't know what day the Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. This is a pretty famous passage amongst Seventh-day Adventist Christians. If you didn't realize then the stream you're watching or the church you're a part of today, we're actually a Seventh-day Adventist church. And this church was formed out of a movement of people that was set on the belief that Jesus was coming soon. That's what I love about our church, because it's birthed out of a community of people who loved and longed to see Jesus come back. So that's like the foundation for the Adventist movement. And so we have a verse like this, which implies, well, there's there's something to do with readiness that we should have as followers of Jesus. There's there's something to do, we we should be consistently ready for his return. But the illustration given there might not um, relate to as much, so I'm going to hopefully show on that will. Um, Anyone know what a speed camera is? Okay, you shouldn't put your hands up. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) In Perth, where I learned to drive, there are plenty of speed cameras. But just like Queensland, there are no signs that tell you when a speed camera is coming. And what that does to you as a driver is it leaves you in a constant state of terror because you never know when a speed camera is coming up, right? And it helps you to do this thing, which I think, if, if I'm pronouncing it right, it's following the speed limit, right? Because you never know when a camera's coming, so you're constantly following the speed limit, doing the right thing. But when I moved to college, which is in New South Wales, I saw something that blew my mind. Because every time a speed camera's coming up in New South Wales, you will get not one, not two, but three signs that tell you a speed camera is coming up, right? And so everyone in New South Wales knows exactly when the speed cameras are coming up. Sure, you've got under, undercover cops somewhere and you've got a few police sitting around. But every time there's a speed camera, you know it's coming because you see the signs. 
And I think a lot of the time, that's how we approach this kind of mentality in terms of being ready for Jesus. We're more like, okay, what are the signs and when do I need to be ready for him to return? The problem is that isn't the way that we're supposed to live as Christians because Jesus said, no, you should always be ready. You should consistently be ready. And so we come to that question, okay, well, what does it mean for me to be ready for Jesus to come back? What does it mean for me to live in that state of readiness for his return? So we're going to go back towards the start of this chapter of Matthew 24. And we're going to read verses 4 down to verse 8. So Matthew 24, verse 4 to 8. And again, Jesus is speaking to his followers and he says this, Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many and you'll hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. A few weeks ago, I was uh, fortunate enough to share a message with uh, the good people up in Kingaroy at the Adventist church up there. And I don't know if you're aware, but currently in Kingaroy, there is a man who is claiming to be Jesus. Now, I didn't get to meet this so-called Jesus when I was in Kingaroy, but he's actually getting a bit of a following, right? He's claiming to be Jesus and people are believing him. But he is not the first. There have been plenty of people throughout history that have claimed to be Jesus. There are whole religious movements that have been formed based on people making those claims. We also see uh, there being wars or threats of wars. And you don't have to dive too deep into history to see symptoms of that, right? We've got the First World War, Second World War, Korean War, Vietnam War, War in Iraq, War on Terror. We've got the Cold War, right? And that's just in the last century or so. Not to mention the thousands of years of history between when these words were spoken and today. So none of these are like new signs, right? But as we continue reading, it says, Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is just the first of birth pains. Right? And so we see all these things that like have been happening in the world around us, but not just recently, for a long time. And it's easy to kind of get fearful or discouraged because we're like, well, if all this is happening, like surely Jesus is coming soon. But what it does is it brings forward that sense of, okay, I actually need to be seriously thinking about what does it mean for me to be ready when Jesus returns? Like, what does it mean for me to be prepared? So let's keep reading. I think I missed the passage in there. So we've got that passage as well in uh, verses, where do we get to? Verse 9 through to 12. And what it says there, oh yeah, thanks, Charles. <laughs> thanks, mate. This is why you always have a Bible handy. Verse 9 to 12, it says, Then you'll be handed over and to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all the nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And I think we just need to pause there for a moment. And acknowledge the fact that this is kind of a scary thing to think about, right? This is kind of like, whoa, okay, it's not just like a a surface level thing. This could actually be a bit scary. But again, as we look to history, as we look to the past, we see these things have happened for a long time. You look at the thing, like things like persecution. You know, the very first Christians were amongst you know some of the most heavily persecuted people in history. I don't know how many of you have heard of Nero, but Nero kind of made a hobby out of arresting and killing Christians. And that was in the first century of, of Christianity's existence. And throughout history, there have, been, you know, there have definitely been, been waves of, of persecution thrown at those that are faithful to God. 
And we can look at all these things and get fearful of all these things. But in, in this list, there's one that often gets skipped over or missed out. It says, the love of many will grow cold. And I want to just lean into this really quickly um, because there's this thing that we have in the Adventist church called the NCD report. Right, the NCD report. This is a report that most churches do across the world. And what, what will happen is that uh, a bunch of church members will fill out a, a form and they will send it in. Then we'll get some results back which tell us, okay, how are we traveling in certain areas as a church? Like how are we going? You know, we have things like inspiring worship or loving relationships or holistic small groups, things like that, like things that are symptoms of a healthy church. And from, from what I've observed and what I've learned is that across the church in Australia, consistently at the lowest score on the NCD report is loving relationships. Now, we are so blessed here at Gold Coast Central because that is actually our highest score. So as a church, we actually buck the trend there. So that's not something to get proud about or boastful about. But even within you know, our own like, Christian community, love is something that many people struggle with. Right? And so again, we see symptoms of these things happening and, and it's easy to get discouraged and to get worried and be like, okay, well, are we actually ready? Am I actually ready for Jesus to come back? And then we have this verse, verse 13, which is a message of hope. It says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Just take a deep breath. The one who endures to the end will be saved. There's a key word in here we have to unpack, right? It's that word endure. What does it mean for me to endure? And so what I did is I did a word study into this uh, throughout the last couple of weeks. And what I found is kind of like three things that I wanted to share. The first thing is what this word meant to the, to the secular world around when Jesus was saying this. Right? To fully understand what Jesus is saying, we need to get into the mindset of the people that he was speaking with. And so to the secular Greek, the word endure... What it meant was active defiance of evil. So an individual would be like defying evil with all their strength. So to kind of paint a visual picture of that, imagine you're like, you've got two boulders here and you're standing in the middle and you're trying to push against them to defy evil. Okay, that's what this word meant to the secular mind. And that's what a lot of people think. I think endurance is about me swatting away all the evil things, right, as they come my way. It's about me pushing against evil, making sure I don't let it creep into my life, making sure I don't look at the wrong things, I don't say the wrong things. I, you know, it's, it's, it's all about me and making sure I resist evil. But again, getting into the mindset of the people Jesus is speaking to, we have to remember the world in which they grew up. For these people, their Bible wasn't what we have today. Their Bible was actually what we call the Old Testament of Scripture. It was the, the writings of the prophets. It was the, the, the Jewish law, the Torah, you know, those books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And for these people, the word endurance is actually thought of very differently. And to kind of summarize the way that the, the Jewish mind thought about this topic of endurance, I've got a quote from a scholar from the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. But it says this, it says... Attention is not directed earthwards to hostile powers which one resists, nor does the one who endures draw the power of resistance from within himself. Right? So enduring isn't about pushing against the evil in the world around us, and the power to do that doesn't come from ourselves. The point is to hold fast to God. Did you catch that? The point is to hold fast to God. And not mistake his power and faithfulness. His strength to do so, so the individual strength to endure, has its source in cleaving to God. Endurance is the result of waiting on God. 
And this is key to understanding this verse because in the Jewish mindset, this is what endurance is all about. It's less reactive to the world around you and more proactive. So it's something that, that we do by our own initiative to cling on to God. But then the power to endure isn't actually from within, it's from above. And so we come back to that verse, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Our obligation as followers of Jesus isn't to try and just push against all the bad stuff in the world around us. It's actually to hold fast to Jesus. Key difference there. It's not reactive to the bad stuff around us. It's proactive as we daily seek the presence of Jesus. I don't know about you, but that feels like good news. Because there's a lot of bad stuff happening in the world around us, right? And, and, and at this time, it can be um, easy to, to kind of get into that, that loop of trying to like just swat off all the bad things as they come by or try to stay strong or try to endure with the best strength that we have. But into this space, Jesus says, no, come to me. Find rest in me. Find strength in me. Cling to me and I will help you endure to the end. And that is good news. That is good news. So you might be wondering, okay, well, what might it actually look like if I apply this to my life? What does that look like for me? Yeah, it's really easy to talk about these things, but what does it look like in practice? And it's at this point I want to turn you to my fantastic uh, prop here on the right. You might have seen it last week, and I'm, I'm low-key proud of this. Um, I've attempted to make like a conspiracy board, right? Because the temptation that we have is we get into the trap of thinking, well, well enduring and, and being ready is about accumulating knowledge so that when you know, tough times come, I'm going to be ready for the second coming of Jesus, right? And I want you to know that accumulating knowledge and learning about God and learning about prophecy and studying the Bible is not a bad thing, okay? That is a good thing. But when building our own knowledge replaces a personal relationship with Jesus... That's when something gets out of balance, right? Anyone have those friends on Facebook or on Instagram or something like that who whenever a world leader sneezes, they post a new conspiracy theory? Yeah, a couple of us that can relate to that. So I've kind of put a few things up here that are kind of going on in the world around us at the, at the moment. You might see the, the pandemic logo here. Obviously, you're, you're familiar with COVID-19. Um, you've got global warming here. You've got natural disasters. You've got the Black Lives Matter movement and the social justice movements that have been going on. Um, you even have 5G here. Some people, I don't know if you've heard of it, but believe that 5G is the cause of COVID-19. There's a bit of a conspiracy floating around about that. You've got uh, President Trump here as well, the Donald, representing the United States and, and the leadership there. And then you've got this fake news, right? A, a, a little phrase that's been tossed around quite a bit. And as followers of Jesus, it can be easy to try and build our knowledge and try and connect the dots as we go. And as we see all these things, again, knowledge and accumulating knowledge isn't a bad thing. But when we're failing to look through the lens of Jesus, something's actually out of balance, okay? So what I want to invite you to do now is something we did a bit earlier this year. We're going to put on our Jesus lenses, all right? So I want you to do this with your fingers and put them together. These are your Jesus lenses. All right, I can see you. I can see you in order too. I want to make sure you're doing it. And I want you to put on your Jesus lenses. Thanks, Motte. Appreciate it, bro. Those are some Jesus binoculars right there. That's awesome. So as we're looking through the Jesus lens, we're going to ask this question, well, how does following Jesus change the way I see these things? How does it adjust the way that I look around? Yeah? Because we can look at President Trump and you, know, you think what you will of him. We can look at these things and we can get scared or we can get fearful of the future. 
We can look at the prophecies in the Bible and try to draw connections every time they happen. But when we're looking through the lens of Jesus, when we see Donald Trump, what we actually see is the world crying out for leaders with integrity. Right? When you look through the lens of Jesus, you see a desire in people's hearts for leaders with integrity, for leaders that are authentic, for leaders that are going to lead in truth. Right? Maybe, maybe you're looking at, at, at like the pandemic, right? And, and you see just the, the most discouraging thing. Maybe your, your first reaction is actually to go to God and be like, why God? Why is this happening? But when we put on the lenses of Jesus, when we look at the pandemic, what we see is we actually see people in need of meaningful community. We see loneliness, right? We see people crying out for support. When we put on those lenses of Jesus, it changes the way we see things. Maybe we, we look at the natural disasters and, and how this, this graph has just been going up and up and up in recent years and, and people are getting afraid or fearful. But when we look at that and when we look through the lens of Jesus, it changes things because we start to see a broken and hurting world. right? A world that has been affected by sin and a world that is in need of a saviour. When we, when we look at things like the, the global average temperature rising, um, you know, we, we see conspiracy theories surrounding that. But when we look through the lens of Jesus, what we see is the, the need for faithful stewards in the world around us, right? for people that are, that are going to do their best to care for the environment that God has given them, to do the best of their abilities. right? And the, the way that we put on these Jesus lenses is going to change the way we see things. right? So we look at 5G and the conspiracy theories around that. And, and as, as, as we look through the lens of Jesus... What we see is not things to be fearful of, but we see a God who is in control. A God who is in control despite all appearances of the contrary. Maybe you look at the, the Black Lives Matter movement. Maybe you, you see everything going on there and the, and the tension there in the United States. And when you look through the lens of Jesus, perhaps what you'll see is a world crying out for justice. A world crying out for a righteous judge. Or we come to like fake news, right? A phrase that many people have heard or heard tossed around at least. And when you look through the lens of Jesus, what you start to see is there people have a desire for unchanging truth, right? They want something firm to build their life on and build their life around. And so we come to that question of the church, right? The church right here in the middle, in the midst of all this, a world that is crying out for these things. What is the role does the church play in that? And Jesus actually speaks into this space. Right in the book of John, chapter 5, he's talking to the Pharisees. And these people, are, again, are obsessed with accumulating knowledge. And what does he say to them? He says, you search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life. Right? They thought that the knowledge they accumulated was the thing that gave them eternal life. But Jesus says, the scriptures point to me. Not me, Lachlan Hart, is no, to Jesus. Right? The scriptures point to Jesus that you refuse to come to me and receive eternal life. And so, so my challenge for you is to think about, okay, how does the lenses of Jesus in this world we have around us as we look around, how do they change the way we see our role as a church? And as I was thinking and meditating over this, the one word that came to mind is very simple. But the church offers hope. The church is the hope of the world. Not us as people, but the one to whom we're pointing to. The one that, as Greg said, is a firm foundation to build our lives upon. The church presents hope. The church should not be a fortress of fear. It should be a cathedral of hope to the entire world. To the entire world, not just to 
our families, not just to each other, but to our local communities, to our nation, and to our world. And so we come back to the big idea for today, and that is that Jesus changes the way we see the world around us. And not just a superficial changing. No, Jesus changes the way we see the world around us because to endure means to cling to him. And as we're clinging to him, as we're walking with him each and every day, he's going to change the way we see the people in our immediate community. He's going to help us see the needs. He's going to help us to see you know, all those things that, that, that we can do to bless others and to serve others. And so as we come to the how today, how do I apply this to my life, you might be thinking. I want to share with you something very simple. And it's get on the journey with Jesus. If you want to make sure that as you're preparing for his soon return, that you're ready, the simple counsel I have for you is to get on the journey with Jesus. And that's going to look different depending on where you find yourself. But as a church, that's what we've really focused on trying to do, is to make it super easy for you to work out what your next step is. And if, if you're wondering what that is, what that model is we have, then I'll share it with you right now. The first step is to know God. Right, the first step in your journey is to know God. So what that means is, is we want you to be experiencing his love each week as you come to church or watch online. And as you experience his love, that, that you decide to make a decision to follow him or make a commitment to him. Right, we want you to know God. And the very next thing God wants to do in your life when you decide to follow him is he wants you to experience the freedom that comes with knowing Jesus and following Jesus. And so the second step we have is called find freedom. Right? And the way we do that is through meaningful community. So we challenge you to get into a life group if you're not already. Right, get connected with community. If, if you can't find a group that suits you, then maybe God's calling you to start a life group. And if that's the case, then come speak to me. I'm one of the leaders for life groups here at church. So come speak to me. Get involved in community and find freedom. When you're finding freedom, you're then released to discover the purpose that God has for your life. And throughout this year, we've been developing what we call the growth track, which is a three-week program that you can go through to kickstart that journey. Now, I want to stress at this point that each of these steps... They're not like a one-and-done kind of deal, right? But they're things that we need to be continuing in our faith journey. And so discovering purpose isn't like a one-and-done thing. It's a lifelong journey of, God, what do you have for me now? What have you put in front of me that you want me to work towards? So discover purpose. And the fourth step is make a difference. Make a difference. Following Jesus doesn't just impact your life. It impacts the lives of those around you and those you come in contact with. And if you want a really simple way to do that, tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., just outside there. We're going to be meeting up here as a church community and we're just going to be going out and serving our, serving our immediate community. So we're going to be doing things like gardening, picking up rubbish, just helping out where we see needs. All right, so get on the journey with Jesus. Right, Know God, find freedom, make a difference and discover purpose. If you want to see the result of that, then we see that in Ephesians chapter 4. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. And it actually paints a picture for us of what it looks like when we live this out. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. And this is a picture of the future that gets me excited. And it's one that I hope gets you excited as well. But it says this. When we're on this journey with Jesus, right, keep that in the back of your minds. Then we will no longer be infants tossed around back and forth by the waves. And blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From, 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So when you get on the journey with Jesus, it not only prepares you, it not only helps you in your own journey to cling to God and to endure, but it actually makes the church more healthy. It actually makes the church a better place as every single one of us individually are walking with Jesus. So wherever you find yourself today, as I invite the band to come back up, we're going to sing one more song. But as, as they make their way up, I just want to challenge you to think about what is my next step? What is the next thing God wants to do in my journey? Does he want me to know him more? Do I need to make a commitment to following him? Do I need to make a commitment to baptism even? Is it finding freedom? Do I need to get connected with meaningful community here at church? Is it discovering purpose? Do I need to put my name up and say, yeah, I want to do the growth track? Or is it making a difference? Do I need to make a commitment to come here tomorrow and serve our community? Or do I need to join a team here at church and get involved in that? I know for me, the next step for me is I want to be making more of a difference in my local community. So I'm going to be here tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. So as I raise my hand, that's the commitment I'm making. So I challenge you now, if you want to accept one of those challenges, just to raise your hand with me now as I pray, just to raise your hand and say, yep, God, I think this is my next step. Sing hands raised. I know there are hands raising in auto too as well. What is your next step? Think about it. Be like, God, yep, I want to make a commitment to that next step today. Because Jesus sees those commitments and he's excited about them because you're journeying with him. Remember that it's going to not just help you endure. It's not just going to build your own faith journey. What it's going to do is it's going to make the church a healthier place, a place that is continuing in its purpose. Right? It's going to make the church healthier and full of love. So with every hand raised, now why don't we just pray, Father in heaven, I thank you for the commitments that have been made now to get on the journey with you. Lord, I, just, I, I praise you for the opportunity we've had to come together to talk about this stuff today. And I pray over every commitment made that it might just, not just be a decision made today that doesn't change our lives, but this decision today might change everything. That as we continue our journeys with you, that you might journey with us every step of the way. That as we journey with you, we might grow more and more in our love for you and for other people that it might change our lives and it might build the church up to be a healthier and place that is more full of love than ever before. Lord, we praise you as our God and we acknowledge you now. We ask that you come soon in Jesus' name. Amen.